episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show, bringing you another really fascinating guest today uh, who is helping to create a better tomorrow for all of us on many different fronts. Uh, we are headed on our virtual road trip again, as we like to say. We are headed up to Canada today. And we are meeting uh, with Fanny C., uh, who is the One Roche Head of Artificial Intelligence and Digital Health at Hoffman LaRoche. And uh, for those less familiar with the pharmaceutical industry, uh, uh, Hoffman LaRoche is a, a multinational healthcare company. They operate both in pharmaceuticals and diagnostic segments. And I was just taking a look at the, uh, uh, the top 10 list the other day, but in 2021, it is the world's largest pharmaceutical company by revenue. Um, with her uh, bachelor's and master's from University of Toronto, uh, Ms. C is very focused on all sorts of applications of digital health, as well as innovative techniques like artificial intelligence to ultimately help generate actionable insights uh, for exponential improvements, both in patient outcomes as well as economic development in the area. Missy um, has over 15 years of experience bringing new products and services to the healthcare market, uh, including extensive experience as a clinician, researcher, and business development professional uh, in the areas of medical devices, AI analytics, and digital health assets. Uh, and she specializes in ultimately building meaningful and impactful health system transformation, leveraging innovation, and ultimately achieving fair sustainable growth for uh, the company, for entrepreneurs and multinationals in both uh, public and private sectors. And they do a lot in the, the, the public-private partnership space, which we'll get into as well. Uh, but we're really glad to have her today. Uh, uh, Ms. Fanny C., thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you so much, Ira, for having me. It's great having you. Um, I'd love to start off, uh, as we typically do, by, by giving you the floor for a little bit uh, to talk a little bit more about yourself um, and sort of uh, not just you know, sort of where you grew up and a little bit about uh, your, your background education, but you have a very uh, interesting, what I'll call pre-Roche uh, journey. Uh, you were spending time at uh, Canada Health InfoWay, developing digital health across the country. You, you were involved in building this fascinating project I was looking at called Blue Dot uh, back in 2013, tracking not, not just COVID, but Ebola and, and Zika and things like that. Uh, take us on a little of that pre-Roche journey, if you would. I think all of my journey stems from the clinic. I, I started off as a radiation therapist, was uh, bedside for about eight, nine years treating cancer patients and specializing in everything from the clavicles up. So head and neck and CNS, and then also to other parts of the body, such as the prostate, breast, liver. And when I looked out into the world, I saw a number of press releases and academic publications that didn't necessarily reflect what was happening in the clinic. I always think clinical people are so entrepreneurial in themselves. They can make a piece of tape, do anything, be anything and solve anything. But it'd be nice with all these advances in technology and innovation to be able to uh, absorb that into the clinic and being able to breed meaningful impact to, to our care plans and to overall benefit in patients. And so part of my journey was trying to figure out where the problems were. Like, how come we have this wealth of innovation, but not necessarily the scalability that we assume that it should have if it's something that's beneficial in the clinic? And so I kind of traversed into the world of business, trying to understand if it was the, the contract structure, if it was IP, if it was the way that the deals were created. And, and so I went to business school. But when I came out of business school, I realized that 
I knew business words, but I didn't actually understand business business. And so what I did is I ended up working for uh, Mars Discovery District in a group called Mars Innovation. And we were the central hub for intellectual property for a number of the academic institutes, universities and research institutes within the greater Toronto area. And for about six or seven years is basically looking at all the different inventions coming out of these phenomenal academic centers. And when you think in your head, you know, it'd be nice if this type of invention existed, I can tell you, given all of what I've seen, it does exist. It just hasn't either been productized or it hasn't been translated into the market. So we are sitting on a wealth of phenomenal minds. And, and I, I feel like it's, it's part of our accountability and our, and our ethical responsibility to, to identify the ones that are important and spend the time to implement them and adopt them into medical practice. And so, you know, my, my route to um, a diagnostics company and then into InfoWay was really about learning more about the different sectors and figuring mm -hmm. out where the challenges existed. And I think, you know, what I found is both in the public and private sector, everybody counts. It's not one specific player that is the make or break for any adoption of any emerging technology. It is really the coordinated effort of all those organizations that actually makes a product reach the market to something meaningful. And I think Roche is, you know, very much an advocate of this philosophy and is very much about collaboration in the long term and building learning healthcare systems such that we can embrace a particular challenge as a group and then determine the different tactics that are feasible such that the whole system embraces it in a sustainable manner so that we can get innovations to patients. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think and I'm very proud of the company because of that. Yeah, and that that uh, that collaborative sort of ecosystem model, I think it, it shines through, and we'll be getting into some of the examples of the different areas that that you're working in um, at Roche. Uh, you know, I, I find it really fascinating. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm talking to you now. You you head up this uh, artificial intelligence center of excellence. Uh, you are you're located in in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Um, I. I, you know, I, I spent a little time in Canada. I was unaware um, of sort of the exceptional uh, system that you have up there in terms of technologies like artificial intelligence. Just give us a little background just in terms of, of why Canada, what, what, what's been going on in terms of artificial intelligence, digital health ecosystem. Uh, I know there was a lot happening at University of Toronto. Uh, take us through a little bit about uh, the last several years of, of sort of the work that's been going up there sort of in the ecosystem. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic question. I think a lot of people say, why Canada? Artificial intelligence is everywhere and ev there are scientists and bright people everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just this overall uh, unified investment into artificial intelligence by both the, the federal and provincial governments. Mm -hmm. And so we have luminaries such as Jeffrey Hinton, Joshua Bengio, and Richard Sutton, who are arguably the godfathers of deep learning, as well as reinforcement learning that live on our soil, but also have created these phenomenal research institutes called Vector, Mila, and Amy that are able to represent and grow the capabilities and the research projects and the skill sets of these workers of tomorrow. They are, they are people who are at the cutting edge of the science 
And we also have a very collaborative public and private system such that we are able to organize around particular challenges and mandates in a way where we're able to take that science and determine how to mobilize it within each organization so that we can be more efficient as a healthcare system. So there's this, there's this overall sort of financial investment um, from the federal and provincial government. There's also this willingness from the scientific community, but also industry and the public sector to spend the time to figure out how we can reach that healthcare system of tomorrow in terms of determining how to implement these in a, in a safe way. And along those lines, um, before we get into some of the, the, the Roche Eye Center of Excellence projects, talk a little bit about the term one Roche, because I, I saw you give a presentation recently about that. And I think it's extremely important sort of how companies like Roche are redefining themselves. You know, you, we think of okay, pharmaceutical company, you're the largest pharma company in the world. You do a little bit more than that. It's not just about, hey, this drug or this diagnostic test. It's about really complex solutions working in these networks. Talk a little about the meaning of one Roche, if you would. Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent question. And when you think about it from, let's say, a corporate structure perspective, it just means that the diagnostic house and the pharma house are, are separate entities from a corporate standpoint. However, its meaning is much greater in that we are not just focusing on therapies and diagnostics and those two very distinct points within the patient experience or the patient journey. We are now looking at the patient experience in a more holistic fashion. What happens pre-diagnosis? What happens during diagnosis, treatment, during survivorship, and also end-of-life care? And that entire experience gives us the opportunity to provide impact, whether we are able to provide it with our own products and services or to partner such that we were able to provide that more holistic bundled package or market offering to a patient or to a healthcare system. So we, we often talk about it in terms of integrated solutions, but you know, to have a smooth patient journey, it, it might be to have, let's say, a, a pre-screening test for something or a condition that you may be predisposed to, and then being able to access the appropriate diagnostic device and then having it appropriately tell you which particular therapy that you would have the best outcomes with. And then following that, monitoring for any sort of regression or any sort of progress in the condition such that you can get treatment if needed. And so that is the type of holistic health solutions type of company that we want to be and that we're striving to be. So these roles are about having that holistic view in, in the business that we carry out and the engagements that we carry out. Excellent. Excellent. I, I, I really find it refreshing myself having come out of uh, Big Pharma at, at one time in my career to see the transformation that, that's occurring, uh, even at this level of the industry. And it's, it's, it's really exciting. Um, so, okay, now, so coming back to you, you head up Roche AI Center of Excellence. Uh, you have, as you mentioned, these, these broad uh, groups of like-minded public and part, uh, private organizations. It's broadly called the Roche Data Science Coalition. Let's go into a couple of these projects. I really think they're fascinating. And obviously the one we have to start with is the Roche COVID-19 Data Science Coalition. Uh, you've brought together in your uh, coalition, uh, Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute, uh, NVIDIA, uh, we've had folks on the show, uh, the Vector Institute. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, what you're up to on the COVID-19 front with this collaboration. 
you know, it, it, it was a phenomenal experience. I think, you know, when COVID started, everybody had a bit of a panic attack. Everyone was basically saying, this can't be real. This is not happening. I'm living on a Netflix show and this isn't really happening. This is just us taking a bit of a break from traveling and not having to do expense reports because in two or three weeks, this is going to go away. And then all of a sudden, you know, four weeks later, one month later, two months later, three months later, and we're like, this is still here. This is not going away. And this is a big deal. And so what it came down to was calling on people within the network saying, we don't have the answer. There is no perfect roadmap. What are we going to do collectively? How can we share our expertise and coordinate our efforts such that we can get the treatments, the knowledge to people who can action it and care for the people who are getting sick? And so that is the coalition of organizations that came together under the Roche Data Science Coalition. It included academic and private partners such as NVIDIA and RGA, Amy and Vector. And we were able to essentially, and, and think DataWorks and Self-Care Catalyst, they were phenomenal in creating a pipeline of data aggregation and data centralization to data solutioners to then a group of people with, who would then mobilize insights to pandemic task forces all over the world such that they could make informed decisions. And so it, it was the first time I had actually seen companies coordinate in that way. And I, I've seen companies coordinate in a way where, you know, you're applying for a particular grant, you're working on a particular initiative, but this was sort of in a, skunk works fashion where people were immediately getting together and saying i fulfill this part of the pipeline i fulfill this part of the pipeline i fulfill this part of the pipeline and because of that we were able to aggregate open data sets around COVID 19 and have solutions generated on the kaggle platform i think over a hundred solutions in the form of ai algorithms uh, advanced analytics, insights, dashboards, reports within four to eight weeks. And those were disseminated through our pandemic task force, which were able to inform government groups around the world on social distancing policies, on reopening practices, on general decision-making. And, and one of the things that we thought was really interesting was just people were bringing different sources of data to one another at these tables. And it was, it was really nice to be able to either confirm or reject the data that you had. So it's like, that's what we're seeing. And then they relied on each other as a group, as a source of truth. And that I think is truly innovation. It's not, it's not the innovation anymore where it's like, okay, you have all the time in the world. Let's hypothesize a product. Let's figure this out. Let's find some clients. And to me, the most exciting ones are the ones that are focused on human capabilities mm -hmm. bring a whole bunch of people who are really smart to the table. And we say, this is our problem. What, what can we do to resolve it? What are the different tactics that we can try? And, and, and it's very mission and mandate focused as opposed to, you know, this is a very specific question with a very specific data set and a very specific, you know, timeline. Yep. It, it, it was very collaborative. Yeah. And you know, an, another a wonderful example, and this is, you know, this is one that um, has really 
like like a lot of well, not a lot of diseases, but this one has really given the pharma industry and the biotech industry problems for for decades now. And that that's of course ALS. Uh, and you know, you have uh, you put together this initiative, the the End ALS Challenge, and here once again speaking about the the collaborations, ALS Society of Canada, Ontario Brain Institute, uh, Netromark Corporation, uh, and, and once again here you're really looking at uh, it's sort of a, a competition in certain ways, bringing together AI, the neuroscience community, and, and, and uh, looking at, the, at this disease, which once again is flummoxed the, the entire industry for a long time. Are there new ways we can do this, whether it's the treatment, the biology, the diagnosis, drug discovery? Talk a little bit uh, about the NDLS challenge. Happy to. And another uh, group of stakeholders that are inspirational and motivational and very much mission and mandate focused. Um, part of the reason why we built AI with Roche or the AI Center of Excellence was to be able to repeat the COVID-19 model of engagement in other therapeutic areas. We were saying, you know, if this is able to expedite discovery and able to mobilize knowledge in a very quick manner, then why not do this in other therapeutic areas like oncology and rare condition and neuroscience? And so as we were having these discussions, we had a uh, phone call by one of my colleagues, Antoinette Vladimira, and also um, Indu Navar, who had recently lost her husband to ALS. Mm. They were both, they are both tech entrepreneurs, and they understood the importance of the intersection between technology and medicine. They saw what we had done in terms of bringing people together in COVID-19. And Indu had said she was working with her foundation that she created called Everything ALS, as well as another foundation patient advocacy group called Answer ALS, who had a longitudinal data set of both genomic and phenotypic data. And they were saying, how can we create an open innovation challenge such that we can bring the smartest people to the table to solution around new biomarkers for diagnosis, as well as new targets for drug discovery. And so we said, we're happy to help and we don't know what, what this will bring and we're not exactly sure who will show up at the party, but we're gonna throw it. And so we work with Kaggle again to make this data set available to um, all of the different stakeholders in the open environment, so the Kaggle platform, as well as our AI institutes. Uh, and, you know, of course, the number one thing or the, the great thing about this particular initiative is it was, be, it was a result of proactively consented patients who wanted to contribute to research, who wanted to share their data with research in this very transparent manner. And we thank, you know, Answer ALS for, for having the foresight and just doing all the heavy lifting to get that data to solutioners. So we presented that data on the Kaggle platform, and then we were able to, within 48 weeks, generate about 50 solutions. And the top three solutions came from one, a staff scientist at Illumina, okay. uh, a second scientist from a, well, actually a group of scientists from a startup company called Bowhead Health, and then a group of academics from the Technological University of Munich, as well as UC Irvine, mm -hmm. who had come up with a novel way of looking at the data. And 
it just so happened that, you know, a ton of people were able to participate, but it were, it, it was people who were in or participating within this competition. They were doing it on their free time. They were doing it because they were passionate. They were doing it because they wanted to provide impact. And we're finding that a lot of the people who are involved in these coalitions are looking for channels of impact. And that's another reason why we've created these types of challenges. So what we did is we brought them in front of a scientific community, which included uh, the stakeholders involved in everything ALS and answer ALS. And so that included, you know, Johns Hopkins, MGH, Gladstone, JHU. Um, and people were just looking at the data and saying, you know, how can we validate this even further? And, you know, it, people were, thinking of ways to decrease barriers for other people. They're just like, oh, I can help with that. Oh, you need validation there? I can help with that. Or maybe we have um, you know, some hardware or some programs that can help with this. And, and then we had another forum where we brought in industry and it was, you know, it was NVIDIA, it was Illumina, GE, ourselves, as well as a wealth of venture capitalists. So Google X, Google Ventures, Practical Ventures, Radical mm -hmm. Ventures, um, and we were thinking which of the ones that the community has validated that we could potentially move forward and scale and, and co-invest as a, as a group. And so it, it's, it's a pipeline that exists right now, but this is just more of a coordinated effort mm -hmm. to do that such that, you know, it's not just word of mouth that you're bringing in people to respective initiatives. It's more like everybody knows where they play within the pipeline and, what part they can participate in. And so, you know, right now we are still evaluating those technologies and, and really looking to see how we could further validation and potentially co-invest in, in, in these types of solutions. So yeah, it's, it's been a fantastic journey and we intend to do the same thing in rare condition. And you'll see a number of announcements that will come out this year that will allude to how we plan to do that, but particularly in neurodegeneration. Excellent, excellent. Um, you know, Penny, the, the other announcement that your, your organization made recently, and I, I really find this refreshing as well, um, was this uh, scholarship uh, in artificial intelligence and population health uh, to the Innovative Medicines Canada, uh, where you know, you're looking uh, ultimately to, to look at masters and PhD students and only immerse them uh, in, in these new disciplines, which you know, haven't, you know, for whatever drug development or diagnostic, whatever, they have really haven't been around very long. Um, but I, I would say, I think it's extremely refreshing that you're thinking about, okay, we, we need to not only work on this stuff here with these uh, collaborators, but we got to prepare this next generation coming along. So they exist and they, and they can do the next generation of what's happening. Talk a little bit about this relationship, uh, if you would, at the, uh, at the university. Uh, there's the uh, Dalai Lana School of Public Health at University of Toronto. Absolutely. So we have a phenomenal general manager and his name is Ronnie Miller and he's in, been an inspiration to the Canadian affiliate in terms of being progressive and being a visionary. And part of him stepping down from Innovative Medicines Canada as a chair is to essentially create a scholarship within a particular domain. 
And due to the initiatives that we had created around population health and um, our, our AI COE initiatives in open science, mm -hmm. we thought that IMC's uh, scholarship alongside with Roche's money to match uh, would be something that we could contribute to the new generation in being able to participate in applied science really growing that domain, not just being able to come up with the sharpest algorithms that are possible from a, a scientific rigor perspective, but also being able to consider where they could place those algorithms for maximal impact in terms of, of patient uh, benefit. And so we're working with the School of Public Health in a, in a very cohesive manner to identify use cases that would be able to to create um, patient benefit in the near term that are along the lines of our business objectives, but also reflective of our market needs. And so it, it's, a, it's a catalyst to create these forums between academics and ourselves, mm -hmm. and uh, to be able to grow the world of translation and implementation in, in a very real way. And, and I think something that is notable within these programs is that you know, I think there's a bit of a, a push and pull or a little bit of a war in terms of competing for the best scientists that come out of Canada. And and I think, you know, at a certain point in your life, you, you kind of have to make a decision on, on where you want to, to contribute. And we're finding that a lot of scientists want to contribute in a way where they feel like they are interacting with the ecosystem. They want to talk to patients. Mm -hmm. They want to talk to physicians. They want to talk to policymakers. And they want to be able to, to have that really, you know, beautiful streamlined feedback between these stakeholders and the research such that they can iterate and discover at a faster rate. And so, you know, part of what we're building is called citizen-led science. Mm -hmm. And it really is about taking those discoveries as they happening, as they happen and sharing it back to the patients and other stakeholders within you know, a common language such that they can inform even further research. So it, it's um, something that we're definitely pushing forward and, and hoping to, to expedite discovery with. Very cool, very cool indeed. Um, Fanny, looking out now um, in the coming years, um, we, we chatted a little bit before the show about sort of, um, we talk about themes like AI, the stuff that is realistic uh, today versus the stuff that's more moonshot, unicorn style. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, I'd love to get your visions on some of these things. Once again, looking back at Roche for a minute, you are a pharma and a diagnostics company. And, and if we could just sort of start on the pharma side of things, um, I would say I think most people listening and watching the show know that you know pharma it's expensive to develop a new drug uh, discovery uh, expensive uh, non-human development very expensive and then obviously clinical development extremely expensive uh, we've seen a lot of activity had some guests on the show that are mainly looking at artificial intelligence and the early discovery phase on you know how we can optimize molecules and things like that. Where do you think we're headed in the next, say, five, 10 years with regard to sort of this just general in silico theme for drug development? Are we ever going to get to a point where, you know, uh, we don't want 5,000 patients in our study, we might have 2,000 patients and 3,000 virtual patients? Or, uh, where are we headed with, uh, in your opinion, with drug development overall and artificial intelligence tools? Yeah, I think it's an excellent question because I think 
the question that we always ask ourselves in drug discovery is, you know, what is the pipeline and how long will it take this particular drug to end up reaching the market? And it's a long path, which is, you know, over a decade and, and sometimes in the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. Yep. There's a lot of risk as you move through the pipeline, but we're finding that with all of the new discoveries within AI or in silicon modeling, we're able to do a lot before we actually hit the lab. So what was not cost efficient before may actually be cost efficient now. So artificial intelligence has the potential of making drug discovery cheaper in areas where there may not have been, let's say the upside that we were looking for. So let's say in rare condition, you know, if you're an investor strictly looking at it from an investor perspective, it's like you have a drug in oncology and you have a drug in rare condition. Your market might be a little bit or much larger, let's say in, in the oncology space, rare condition right now might be an in, in, in equally important and, and a viable opportunity where it wasn't years before. And so that, that's what I see in terms of, of being a, a positive uh, addition to, to drug discovery. And I'm finding that drug discovery itself is really about coordinating a lot of these companies. Often yeah. these in silico model companies uh, represent one feature of a maybe a, a larger pipeline before it actually hits the laboratory. So now what we're finding too is that companies are coordinating with one another such that they can pipeline to one another in order to make their outputs a more fulsome um, package for receptors such as ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same, uh, same question on the diagnostics front, because obviously, once again, diagnostics, uh, you know, it can be that uh, CAT scan, PET scan, whatever, in, in, in the hospital. It, it can also be this little wearable thing now that I have on my wrist. Um, a little bit of your visions in terms of where we're going with uh, uh, artificial intelligence and, and, and enhancing the diagnostic process, but also uh, maybe thinking about some of this uh, consumer-facing uh, applications of artificial intelligence. Take us out a little bit there, if you would. I think um, it, diagnostics is particularly interesting because it places access to healthcare and insights in the hands of consumers. You know, you don't no longer have to go to like a, a formal hospital or a community center such that you can get a device to read one of your vital signs or, or something that you're probing or interrogating because you're not feeling well and having somebody tell you, you know, whether something is potentially wrong or something needs to be investigated. And I think that in itself is super interesting. I think, you know, from a, from a uh, decision enhancement or a clinical decision support perspective, I think AI will always be in, in, in combination with a human who sits and, and is able to take a holistic view as well mm -hmm. um, of the patient and, and be able to provide decision making at, you know, the, the point where a treatment might be necessary. But there might be some additional indicators or biomarkers that can be tracked pre-diagnosis and more the preventative space such that we can get to these patients before they get to a complicated state and it gets more difficult to treat. Mm -hmm. And so I see us shifting our treatments or even lifestyle changes further upstream and 
hoping to minimize the volume of complex cases downstream. And I think that's very positive. I think areas to look out for, of course, are you know, computer vision. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we've always been talking about radiology and, yep. and looking at imaging biomarkers. Uh, but now I think in moving upstream a little bit more, it's, you know, natural language processing and um, being able to comb EMRs and, and identify interesting biomarkers in, in, in unstructured notes that weren't necessarily looked at quantitatively from a population level. I think that's really interesting. I think there's, uh, you know, massive advantages or um, massive uh, progressions in multi-omics com combining a series of different data sets that weren't necessarily combined quantitatively and, and identifying biomarkers that could lead us to um, more predictive modeling of, of who's at risk for being more complicated or who would have a better outcome using a very specific type of medication or treatment. So I, I definitely see that moving there, but I, I still very much from a health equity standpoint, see it being digital is about access Yep. Digital is about democratizing healthcare, and, and I still see that vision um, very much encompassing the tactics that I, I just described. Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, Fanny, I know you were, um, well, I guess a, a little bit before the pandemic, you, you were on the conference circuit uh, quite a bit talking about AI and healthcare and AI and drug discovery. Um, you know, we're coming out of this uh, quite soon, but what what does 2022 hold for you? Any other big announcements that uh, you can talk about? Uh, any scoops you can give us? And where can we watch you uh, over the next year, uh, presentations, conferences, and so forth you're going to be uh, presenting at? So I, I would say um, look out for us in the neurodegeneration rare condition space. Um, as well as in uh, oncology, and um, there's some there's some active work in engaging patient advocacy groups and really putting the patient or the citizen at the heart of the work that we do. Not only just as a unidirectional here, you know, here's my data type of um, interaction, but more in that bi-directional let solution together and bring other stakeholders with us. So that includes, you know, scientists, clinicians, regulatory, reimbursement, other tech companies. And so we will be continuing that model. Uh, we will be um, doing a call for proposals to, to different countries in, around the world in a more global effort. So to really elevate Canada and its capabilities but also leveraging Canadian capabilities across the globe to other countries and being able to build that bi-directional communication from other countries to us so we can all learn. So you're going to see a lot of four good efforts. And um, the other thing too is you can always reach us at AIwithRoche.com. Mm -hmm. If you have any ideas that you think you know might be impactful and, and you would like to work with us, we're happy to to ideate with you and, and we recognize we don't have all the answers, but we have the commitment to find them. I, I was, I was going to ask you that, but I'm, I'm, I'll, we'll put that uh, link in the bio as well, because I think, you know, obviously we, we think of the pharma industry partnering with sort of 
early stage drug discovery companies, but now, you know, you're obviously doing so much on all these fronts. So it's, uh, it's nice to see that, uh, uh, that uh, a company like Roche uh, and, and what you represent sort of on the global scene is, is able to work with the startup innovators, the university labs and so forth as well for these new ideas. So we will definitely put, um, uh, put that link as well in the bio. Um, Faye, this, this was uh, really fascinating. Um, I, I'm, I'm thrilled at what you're doing, uh, really going to be rooting you on and watching uh, in the coming years uh, as, as you continue to build this out. Um, for, uh, for, for everybody that uh, is going to be listening uh, to this episode across the different podcast networks or watching on the YouTube channel, you've been listening to Fanny C., one Roche head of artificial intelligence and digital health, Hoffman LaRoche, uh, really working on, on cutting edge innovation uh, for these impactful and meaningful health system transformations, uh, not just uh, in pharma and diagnostics, but really across the board at all, uh, all parts of the health value chain. Um, Fanny, it, it was a pleasure seeing you and meeting you. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to do this. Obviously, thank you for everything you're doing there. And as we like to say on this show, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow through what you're doing. A really fascinating story. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was such a pleasure. And, and I'm, I'm so glad that there are people like you sending out the messages of, of all the goodness that's actually out there. Thank you for that.